0: Good morning we're back for day two at uh reading the register with Pete. I'm Pete Myers. We're starting to see some consistency around here. I like it. I'm the type of guy where my a d d brain rages with like a dozen projects at the same time uh so no promises on the longevity of this one. but I had a lot of fun yesterday. Thank you and shout out to the twelve people who tuned in. love y'all um also had fun this morning kind of going over headlines and practicing my critical thought, which is always important these days, the amount of propaganda out there. We've got a lot of things uh, to go over. We're going to go the cop route a little bit, talk about some propaganda, uh, some things we're seeing uh, consistently in the media from uh, the PR wing of our police department and uh, some of the hypocrisy there. We're going to talk about a brave guy that out in Newton, uh, took what, in my opinion was a, uh, a good arrest. I mean, he was uh, completely justifiable in what he was doing and went away peacefully and, uh, went away in the right. As we'll see here, we're going to go to uh Newton for that one, which is about, you know, if you've ever been or drive on I 80 East to go to, Milan, Illinois, for any reason, you go right through Newton. I think it's what, like 30, 40 minutes east of Des Moines. Uh they're known for their racetrack, I know. But uh they have a city council. They have city council meetings just like us, and a uh a police critic was arrested. And they had a uh, the, the editor of their local paper was on site and did some good reporting, and we'll uh we'll read some of his tweets. We're gonna talk uh some panhandling, some pack money. And uh, a little bit about uh, some international developments. I I have to go here uh, and maybe the might uh, impact or will definitely impact the future of gas prices in the metro uh, leading up to November's election. So let's do this. Let's go. Reading the Register with Pete, October 5th, 2022. All right, let's go to that Newton story. So for some background here, there's this this gentleman. I believe he's from Iowa City. I only had known him previously from his Twitter handle, which is uh, recognizable as all caps IC Antifa member. Um, His name is uh, Noah Peterson. And I wanted to uh, really commend him on his bravery here. So basically, he's a a vocal uh, police critic, from what I can see here, and brought that criticism to a public forum this week at a Newton City Council meeting. And the mayor of Newton cited uh, some type of local ordinance or rule that prohibits their citizens from making derogatory comments about any individual and the guy ended up being approached by newton's police chief rob burtis and uh, willingly let himself get arrested without a fight citing uh, first amendment rights so let's go actually i'm just going to read this whole thing as quick as i can it's not a you know an ap style news story it's reporting from The associate editor of the Newton Daily News, uh, Christopher Braunschweig, who did a good job here. He was he was there on site. Uh, He started the video of the arrest. The guy's basically standing up your typical scenery at a city council meeting. He's standing up speaking at a podium and the mayor tells him to leave. And he's approached by an officer and handcuffed. Uh, It starts Newton Police Chief Rob Burtis arrested a man by the name of Noah Peterson tonight at a city council meeting. During public comment, Peterson criticized the police department and said it supports domestic abuse, referring to a specific officer. The mayor demanded he be removed. At city council meetings, citizens are given three minutes to speak about a topic that is not on the agenda. That's three times longer than Des Moines. Uh, There is a rule in place that citizens could not make derogatory comments about any individual. And then he puts a picture of the rule. Uh, Peterson, during his comments, did not mention any officer by name, but his comment about the police department supporting domestic abuse is clearly referring to Officer Nathan Winters. Uh, Winters is the officer who arrested a 19-year-old Newton man about a month ago. The interaction went viral and sparked community outrage. Others began looking into the officer's background and found he had no contact He had a no-contact order placed on him for domestic abuse, which raised obvious questions. How can he be on the police department? How can he carry a weapon on duty? I found that there is a stipulation in the civil no-contact order that allows him to still conduct his duties as a police officer. At a previous council meeting, Peterson spoke out against the police department in response to this incident. He disrupted the meeting on a few occasions and, and was shut down by the mayor each time ending in him being escorted out of the council chambers, but not in handcuffs. Uh, Prior to him speaking at tonight's council meeting, I witnessed him speaking to the police chief face-to-face. The two then exited the council chambers to speak privately. They returned a few minutes later. Uh, I am unsure what happened after Peterson was arrested. Uh, You must assume there that the police chief warned him before the meeting that he would be arrested if he made negative comments about one of the officers in the Newton police department, assuming continuing, uh, Christopher says, uh, I did see the chief Pat down Peterson in the atrium. I want to note that I am unsure if Peterson still resides in Newton. I know he used to, but I also know he lived in Iowa city. I will be following up on the story more in the morning. Uh, he's been covering Newton city council meetings for four years and the first one he's ever seen someone arrested. Uh, he spoke after the meeting With someone who questioned the legality of the city's actions. And then Peterson, let's read. uh, That's the obvious question uh, that Chris asked there is, but is it illegal for the mayor of Newton to direct a police officer to arrest a man for making negative comments about a guy accused of domestic abuse? That's a member of the police department. I'm not one of these free speech absolutists, but it's on on my understanding, at least in the US, that the government is not supposed to impose laws that would restrict criticism of them in in public speech. But I'm not a constitutional lawyer or scholar. I'm just another white guy in his garage with a podcast. But let's read uh, Peterson's statement that he was trying to read which uh, is obviously critical of the police department. It's very brief. Uh, Noah was going to say, hello, this is my public comment for the city council meeting of April 19, 2022. Defund Newton Police Department. They are a violent civil and human rights violating organization who do not make our community safer. Reallocate funds from policing to actually help people with substance abuse issues. It is a health issue, and the war on drugs is simply a harmful war on human beings in our community. Reallocate funds to an actually viable public transportation system. Reallocate funds to a different organization that deals with traffic infractions instead of an armed paramilitary to deal with traffic. Reallocate funds to deal with the housing crisis by creating a robust public housing program for the poor and the working class. Thank you. Okay. And then when Noah, who spoke for himself, uh, said that he kind of added an an edit to the third sentence of that statement that included, uh, that the police are a pro domestic abuse organization, obviously referring to that officer Winters who was, was allowed to, uh, stay on the force despite, uh, having a no contact order placed on him by the legal system uh, because he's a domestic abuser. Uh, Noah, his full statement was this evening I was kidnapped at the Newton council meeting. And this happened on October 3rd. I'm not sure why his statement said April 19th, but uh, this happened recently. This evening I began to read a statement attached after I read the second sentence. I added that they are a pro domestic abuse organization. After that, the mayor gaveled me out of order. He says, important context, cop Nathan Winters is currently employed by NPD, He Newton Police Department. He currently has an active protective order against him for domestic abuse. Has had that order for one plus year, and his victim recently filed for an extension of the order, yet he remains a cop. That goes into what we discussed yesterday about those reforms that were championed by the Iowa State Legislature of these... Uh, sweeping changes that were made that would allow the powers that be to hold police responsible for misconduct. So that's, that's obviously not happening. So yeah, that's happening. uh, Very, very nearby Des Moines. A couple dozen miles east of here. uh, They are now arresting people for speaking out against the police at public meetings. I'd say it's unbelievable, but it's not. Speaking of dirty cops, Paul Parisic's in the news again, all over the place. There's three different stories with uh, direct quotes from him today. And this one that we'll start with relates to a paywalled article in the register that – is behind the paywall for some reason, but it's essentially just an expansion of something that Axios reported on, on September 21st. And it's the never ending saga of court Avenue and the media relying on Paul Parisic to uh, be the expert on that topic. And within I'd say about four paragraphs, five paragraphs of this gazette. I mean, I'm sorry. Second time I've done that. I'm from Iowa city originally read the gazette a lot. So I always, mistakenly called the register of the gazette according to the register uh today uh Parizek, here in the first couple paragraphs of the story uh gives stats that these violent incidents are down in recent times but in his opinion uh they're actually worse despite the data so it's the same type of double speak that he's very good at by the way so He knows what he's doing. There's a reason uh, that uh, writers at the register have direct access to him and will still quote him. And this is the guy that's been accused of child abuse by his adult son. And he's still considered a reliable source by every media outlet in the city. Not sure why he still has a job, but let's go. Is court Avenue safe? Here's what police data says and what steps are being taken to protect visitors. Recent violence on Court Avenue, including a shooting and stabbing that left two people in critical condition last month, have raised concerns about what can be done to ensure visitors to the entertainment district stay safe. The frequency of fights and disturbances decreased over summer weekends, according to department spokesman, Sergeant Paul Parizic. The number of cases resulting from fights went from 14 total in 2021 to two so far in 2022. That's a, what, a 700% decrease, I'd say, Uh, according to data provided to the register. Persons-related crimes, which includes fight assaults and domestic abuse, also also are expected to be down this year at 101 so far compared to 144 in total last year. However, despite the decrease in persons-related crimes and public fights, Parisek said officers are finding that more people are bringing weapons to the area. Police in 22 have responded within the entertainment district to two assaults in which a firearm was displayed or used and at least three calls for intimidation with a weapon. And they had zero calls, such calls from 2018 to 2021, according to the data. A lot of this stuff resu- uh, always relies on the number of 911 calls received, which is not empirical, right? Like there's all types of uh, Things that get conveyed over 911 that actually aren't factual. So it's, that's always curious how they cite that data. Um, Prezic says we will continue our presence and our efforts to get the illegally and irresponsibly possessed weapons out of the hands of dangerous people citywide, he said. In 2021 and 2020, I'm sorry, 2021-2022, the city paid Operation Downtown 170 grand for special safety measures, according to Josh Andelbaum. The city spent $105,000 on barricades just in the fiscal year 2020, 2022, I can't pronounce years, although those barricades are also used for the farmer's market. Ultimately, the city decided to do away with the security fences from last summer after concluding cost outweigh short-term benefits. To quote residents concerned about the shootings, and uh, a lot of this stuff really just kind of, it seems like it's preying on the the urban crime wave myth. Because if you noted there, the piece is supposedly supposed to analyze if Court Avenue safe by looking at police data, which shows that incidents of violence are down. But no doubt, there are a lot of shootings, and uh, obviously that involve what uh, the, these guns Parizic is referring to. So throughout the piece, they kind of tiptoe around this ultimate goal of finding the root cause of the problem, which I would say would be the presence of People drinking alcohol late at night that increasingly have firearms because sales of firearms have skyrocketed since the pandemic. We all remember on, if you drove down Merle Hay in 2020, there was a, a 25 deep line out of JT's gun store. Throughout the pandemic and the protests, everybody thought, you know, that folks were coming for their riches and we're going to burn down the suburbs and stuff back then. So gun sales have rocketed. A lot more people have guns. And people that are concentrated in the same area that are drinking, drinking and and, uh, fighting go, go hand in hand, they coincide. And uh, when more folks have guns, they sometimes have decreased. I mean, when people that are possessing guns are drinking, they have uh, decreased judgment and are prone to making bad decisions like shooting it at someone. So that's what the problem is. And the, the city's, uh, investing in a, a solution to this with a contract with something called a nightlight nightlife management consulting firm out of uh, California and I mentioned before that the, the uh, register Jack the story from Axios they they wrote about it already and uh, they detailed some interesting stuff in the Axios piece that the Gazette did not The Register did not. Um, Axios says a nightlife management firm has been hired to help resolve crime and other social problems that plague Des Moines' Court Avenue Entertainment District. Beyond the obvious and primary public safety factors, the vibrancy of a downtown renaissance is at stake. Multiple stabbings, gun violence, fights, and a car chase have occurred in the district in recent weeks. Uh, police contend the frequency of crime is less, but the severity in violence has gone up. And of course, the Court Avenue's problems have been going on for years. We all remember that those security barricades that they installed, uh, where they blocked off businesses and patrons and, and whatnot, um, apparently didn't work or was too expensive because they scrapped it. But uh, don't worry, good news. The Greater Des Moines Partnership, Polk County, and Des Moines Governments hired the Responsible Hospitality Institute to conduct a sociable city assessment of Court Avenue. And the California-based group will create a plan to tackle dozens of issues linked with safety that include, now get this, (laughs) it's just a matter of time before they're going to blame this on the most vulnerable uh, and the poorest people in our society. But this firm is going to tackle these issues That include crowd control, closing times, because they definitely need someone to tell them to close before two, panhandling, and sound control. Uh, So when you look over at the website of this uh, nightlife consulting firm, they have these roundtables scheduled for uh, November 7th, 8th, and 9th, and one of the morning discussions on the 8th includes how... uh, (laughs) <laughs> how panhandling is actually uh, one of the safety risks that they uh, encounter there in court Avenue at night. Uh, not sure if that's true, um, but they will always find a way to punch down on the, the weakest and most vulnerable members of our society. There's one uh, person in town of prominence who's actually kind of punching back up at that. And we'll get to that later. It's actually a, a positive story for once. Um, Hoke County agreed to pay this nightlife management firm $81,000 for the assessment that will protect hundreds of millions of dollars in, in capital, Polk County Supervisor Tom Hawkins-Smith said. Uh, and these recommendations might also apply to other areas, yada, yada, yada. And the listening sessions that I told you about in November are invite only listening sessions so you know they're definitely going to be speaking to the every person uh in getting their input and it's not just going to be a bunch of uh, chamber of commerce or elite libs in on the talk or that are even allowed to listen to it so uh, that's an ongoing discussion there's no doubt there's you know we need to stop fucking shooting at each other it's dumb uh it does happen uh the the police use it as propaganda to propagate the urban uh, crime wave myth and to lobby for increased funding and to justify the uh, outsized portion of the budget that they already occupy. So it's, it's propaganda from Parisic, like normal, he's usual, but, uh, hopefully, yeah. You know, what kind of backroom deal you think's going on between the city and this, uh, in this California firm that's going to tell us to close the bars earlier and stop getting people with guns drunk late at night. Um, Not that much money comparatively to what they spent on other nonsense, but uh, there's some type of deal there. Someone knows someone with that firm that's uh, using it as a political kickback. I'm guessing something's going on. Hopefully that uh, does address something. I'm skeptical, as I always am, of these, uh, these type of initiatives. There is one. That, you know, we'll we'll uh, parlay that into a story about um, a program, local program that's supposed to deter gun violence that shared some anecdotes with the uh, local TV news of uh, some success stories. And an example of uh, maybe money uh, well spent. It involves a, uh, let me look this up. I was just, it just popped into my head. I read it. Gun violence reduction. So the city council, I'd say late last year approved a uh, program called Cure Violence that mimics a, a community program in Des Moines, I'm sorry, a community cr- program that originated in Chicago that claims to, uh, you know, take a hands on approach to prevent retaliatory violence and will use local figures who are already embedded in their neighborhoods to go out and uh, try to deescalate. It's it sounds great. I'm not sure if that's exactly how it works. It like it looks like they get 400 grand a year. And it's the uh, folks at Creative Visions that are that the program is staffed with. They let me look this up. There was like a who story about. Sorry, I can't find it. There's like four hundred thousand dollar a year program for the Creative Vision folks to hire five people uh, to go out into the neighborhoods and attempt to preempt violence uh, by getting ahead of it. And they told a story on the local news about a shooting in Des Moines where a house was apparently riddled with bullets. And the youngster in the house was considering retaliation and they were able to head it off. And he was facing homelessness and they were able to pay his rent and get him a new apartment. So using some of the funds uh, diverted by the, uh, the city council to the program. So that was a success story. And you like to see, uh, uh, to see stuff like that opposed to uh the same old stereotypes that Parisic play plays on, like uh it's a result of bad parenting. Um maybe it's because of the guns, but I can't say that. Things like that. Uh Parisic appeals to the lowest common denominator and and typically tries to exp- tries to explain complex problems in a in a simple, simplistic manner that makes the police look like uh the heroes that they're they're not. Because, uh, yeah, stories like this coming out of that Creative Visions program, uh, definitely positive. We'd like to see how that uh, plays out over the long term. Moving on here. I was going to talk about, yeah, some of the, the glob in the East High shooting are taking pleas that are less than life in prison and stuff like that, where, you know, they're having to admit their role and take a plea, so... There's so many of them, and it's such a tragic story. And it's, it was so sad to see how Parisic and people like that uh, use that to uh, politicize the removal of SROs from schools, implying that police in the United States deter or stop or prevent school shootings. And he said this before that disastrous incident down in Texas. But yeah, you can, uh, there's pages and pages of Google results of even like national cop blogs and organizations seizing on that and uh des moines decision to remove sros and tying them together and running with it again another example of copaganda and hell they'll they'll even use tragedy to try to promote an increase in their budget and the idea that they're uh an absolute necessity to keep us safe from the the evil criminal hordes which uh which don't exist last uh Parizic mentioned if the opioid crisis wasn't tragic this would be almost a laughable story but if you've if you've been paying attention to things the DEA has said about the opioid crisis and fentanyl in the last month in uh September they put out this warning that the drug cartels are purposely designing uh, fentanyl pills to look like Skittles and candy and have rainbow colors. And uh, at the time when that story came out, the DAA wasn't willing to answer any questions or provide any proof or evidence that this was like a specific thing that was targeting or trying to make fentanyl more appealing to children but believe it or not over the last three or four weeks all these all these local news outlets are suddenly running uh brief interviews with their local police spokespeople asking about the rainbow fentanyl phenomenon and sure enough they're they're turning up all over the place like they're they're claiming thousands of them were found in new york so it's not denying that they exist but the the argument they're using in these propaganda pieces is if you if you your parent was a boomer or you grew up anywhere in the nineties or maybe late eighties or something like that, you remember the urban myth about like crazy crazed drug dealers and parents putting drugs and razor blades and Halloween candy to try to get the whole neighborhood addicted so they'd come back and buy more it's It's basically Nancy Reagan era like dare propaganda, but it still is used today uh frequently so who thirteen Des Moines Runs this again, this speculative hypothetical piece featuring Paul Perizic as the sole source titled DMPD. It's only a matter of time before rainbow, rainbow fentanyl comes to metro. Illicit use of fentanyl is now the leading cause of death among Americans age 18 to 45, according to the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration. Now, drug dealers are increasingly targeting children. And young people with fentanyl pills made to look like candy. Rainbow fentanyl pills have not been discovered in the Metro yet, but Paul, with the Des Moines Police Department, feels it's only a matter of time before the pills disguised to look like candy can show up, start to show up. Like anything else, it just takes a little longer to make its way to the heartland, Peruzic said. DMPD is basing its assumption. On the record amount of counterfeit M30 pills they've seized, laced with the deadly drug. So far in 2022, they've confiscated nearly 20,000 pills. I thought they hadn't found any of these yet. Or Okay, they haven't found any of the rainbow ones. Anyways, uh, the biggest concern we have is the same with the M30 pills. It's the inconsistency of the fentanyl in each pill and that creates such a dangerous situation for the user. You might see one pill with half a milligram in it and one that has almost eight milligrams in it. Well, two milligrams is about a fatal dose, so you might have one person who takes one and thinks, oh, I need to take two, and the next thing you know, they're dead, Perezic said. The age of people using fentanyl pills ranges from the early 20s to late 30s, according to Perezic. The main concern is the potential for younger kids to be drawn into the new rainbow appearance whether they buy them personally or come across them in a home where an adult is using them. That's a risk if you have any type of narcotic in the house when it comes to illegal and illicit narcotics. People aren't too careful with those anyway, so it is it is a concern if you have those in your home and you have small children, Prezik said. In response to the rise of fentanyl being trapped across our cities, Marco Rubio introduced the Felony Murder for Deadly Fentanyl Distribution Act in late September. The bill makes the distribution of fentanyl resulting in death punishable by federal felony murder charges. Senator Chuck Grassley, who serves on the Senate Caucus on International Narcotics Control, said last year the DEA seized enough fentanyl powder to kill every American in the country disguised as prescription drugs. Interesting. I don't know if it's true. But it sounds like propaganda to me. But don't be surprised if uh, KCCI runs a spot the next time the uh, DMPD finds a single rainbow-colored pill of of any consistency. I'm sure that'll be a headline. It works. That's why they do it. Manufacture consent. Let's stop talking about Paul I'm sorry. Sorry. That story's so ridiculous that it's not even fun. There's a story about uh, Warren Buffett's designated successor buying $70 million worth of Berkshire Hathaway stock and the uh, business section here in the register goes out of the way. The guy lives in Des Moines. His name is Greg Abel. He's worth hundreds of millions of dollars apparently because he just bought 70, you know what I mean? These shares cost like 400 grand a pop so he's not You know, he's not a a day trader on his app uh, buying, uh, whatever, GameStop. What's that that app that you can use? That's the Cash app. Yeah, using the Cash app to buy like Bath and Body Works and GameStop. This guy's a major player. But uh, yeah, he's a massive shareholder in Berkshire Hathaway. And the register has gone out of their way several times to portray him as just like your average everyday guy. And the final sentence of the story, quite funny. Uh, but Edward Jones analyst, Jim Shanahan said he's glad to see Greg Abel investing in Berkshire shares because it demonstrates his alignment with shareholders. But he said, it's a relatively small investment given Abel's wealth and compared to his previous stake, 70 million. Speaking of wealthy people, I did way too much on, uh, Iowa elections yesterday, but this is pretty much the only one I'm going to touch on here and it concerns PAC money and the, the the minute differences that designate each PAC as separate from each other that are frequently capitalized on now by, or they're attempted to be capitalized on now by these Democratic candidates. Now this one we're getting from uh, Iowa Starting Line, which is a, a liberal blog that is uh, occasionally occasionally completely lacks self-awareness regarding their own bias. But this one concerns uh, more political ads. You know, it's the season, I'm sorry, they're annoying, but I'm a nerd, so I, I analyze them. Mike Franken, AFRICOM Mike, AFRICOM Franken is running a political ad that criticizes Grassley, rightfully so, of course, for uh, accepting Campaign contributions from corporate PACs. Mike Franken, Iowa Democratic U.S. Senate candidate, has been calling out Republican. There's a uh, typo in the first sentence of the story. Uh, Pat or Chuck, whatever isn't it Garrett or something that runs this blog? Sorry, calling out Republican Chuck Grassley for accepting campaign contributions from corporations as the former Navy admiral tries to unseat the longtime senator. Specifically, Franken's campaign has called out the money Grassley received from PACs connected to corporations in tying those donations to how Grassley has voted on certain issues. Corporate PACs are controlled by corporations and must file that way with the FEC. These PACs get money from the corporation, but also from people connected to the business. The Franken campaign's attack has mostly focused on Grassley's contributions from the pharmaceutical and agriculture sectors. Chuck Grassley sold out to corporate special interests. He took a bunch of money from the drug industry. He wrote the law to stop Medicare from negotiating at lower drug prices. The campaign makes the case that those donations has influenced some of Grassley's unpopular votes. According to Open Secrets, Grassley has received hundreds of thousands from the pharmaceutical manufacturing and pharmaceutical product industries, over $1.3 million, according to the CR Gazette. Franken has used Grassley's corporate... This is the meat of the story that I'm getting at here. He pledged not to take corporate PAC money, and his filings with the FEC confirm he's stuck to the promise. A majority of Franken's donors are individuals. The PACs that have contributed to his campaign are aligned with labor unions and leadership PACs, which are run by members of Congress and other candidates. They typically give donations to other candidates to help elect more members of their political party to build a governing majority Said another super or another pack and Citizens United. Uh, Grassley has also had a number of non-corporate PACs and individuals contribute to his campaign, Uh, so that's great. This is an interesting or uh, interesting is a bad word. Uh, Again, they use this technique because it works, but if you apply the slightest amount of critical thought to it, it really there's really not a gigantic distinction between the folks that someone like Mike Franken is accepting donations from because he's the f- the favored democratic candidate of the donor class or the democrats with deep pockets that fund these campaigns and make the the maximum contributions and regarding this now it's, it's absolutely true that there are laws campaign finance laws in regards to uh, you know, the unlimited donations that corporate PACs uh, can, can spend and accept as long as they're not connected with the candidate, and something like these leadership PACs, which are general, generally chaired by, again, people from the Democratic donor, donor class or, you know, long-time establishment liberals. For example, uh, this PAC that uh, supports Mike Franken, that he's claiming here in this ad is actually clean compared to these dirty corporations is chaired by a uh, staunch anti-abortion liberal and former vice presidential candidate, Tim Kaine. And if you believe that someone like that from the Clinton uh, arm of the party isn't also financed by extremely dirty uh, members of wall street and in, in, in corporate America, uh, you're fooling yourself. So, that's great, Mike. I'm glad your donors are clean. It's nothing like, uh, say, a uh, a couple local races here in Des Moines that we've seen that literally don't have any PACs associated with them and did get small dollar amount donations from thousands of people and use it to fund uh, victorious campaigns or at least uh, campaigns that, that drew the interest of, of the working class and, and spread a different kind of message other than Neoliberal austerity. So, uh, yeah. Mike Franken's clean, guys. Don't worry. He's not going, if he gets elected, he's not going to go to Washington and start warmongering or uh, getting in bed with Raytheon and Boeing and the military industrial complex. Um, he's definitely not going to uh, to do any of that or use his military background to join that donor class in Washington. He would never do that because he's a clean old Iowa centrist that appeals to both sides, right? Clown. Anyways. Couple more. This was my favorite one of the day. I'm going to save this for last, but here's a, here's another positive one. So uh, we all know that late May 2020, there were thousands of people that took to the street protesting for racial justice and uh, dramatic changes to policing in the United States. It was the largest uprising in American history. And here in Des Moines, we had one of the most vicious crackdowns on these protests that overseen by uh, that in the entire country, at least by some metric, it was top 10 per capita, I know. And our uh, police department became notorious at the time. And later, when more evidence came out, and uh, more cases were thrown out of court or dismissed by juries. How uh, they basically just unleashed terror on anybody that was outside for you know several nights in a row, and then several times uh, after that during that summer. So some of these folks that were uh, profiled essentially have sued, uh, and some of them have sued successfully, like this gentleman, um, Jacob Sar. Who was charged with riot-related crimes linked to a 2020 Des Moines protest, will receive a $25,000 settlement under a proposal that goes before the Polk County Board of Supervisors Tuesday. And I looked at it, and it was approved. He did get it. Uh, Jake was one of Jacob was one of dozens of people arrested during the protests surrounding the murder of George Floyd. He alleged officers from the DSM Police and Polk County Sheriff Departments were involved in false arrest. He correctly alleged that. In my opinion, and obviously in the opinion of the city, um, yada, yada, Axios tries to tie it to vandalism. And, uh, oh, right, Mr. Saar also, while he was protesting legally that night, was with his white friend who the lawsuit says engaged in the exact same conduct and was next to him and arrested at the same time and was charged with a different, he got different and lesser charges that were a failure to disperse in a simple misdemeanor. Amazing, I'm sure that was a coincidence. Um, of course, the proposed settlement does not involve an acknowledgement of wrongdoing because who would admit, that, who would give someone twenty five thousand dollars that they did that did nothing wrong, and it's instead meant to reduce the risk of a jury verdict, according to the documents. And that is what it says. Uh, that's how uh, cities often settle these these lawsuits out of court to avoid being embarrassed. We saw the largest settlement of that type last year out of Cedar Rapids in the uh, Jeremy Mitchell uh, lawsuit that he filed against the city. And they, I think it was eight, they gave him 8 million uh, the day before the trial was supposed to start just to, just to keep things out of court. So they will do that. My favorite story locally is, uh, from Little Village and a writer named Courtney. I think her name is pronounced Gwen. I'm sorry. Gwen, G-U-E-I-N. Sorry, Courtney, if I'm mispronouncing your name. It's titled, uh, Des Moines City Council Member Crowdfunds Funds Fine for Man Ticketed While Pan Handling. Council member Indira Shoemaker raised more than enough money this month to pay a local man's $95 ticket based on an ordinance she says criminalizes poverty. And may violate his First Amendment rights. Driving home on September seventeenth, Shoemaker, representative for Ward One on the Des Moines City Council, witnessed an individual being issued a fine for what appeared to be panhandling. At the time, I had been told by staff that that was not supposed to be happening. Shoemaker told Little Village, "This is somebody who's whole really begging for money. It's not effective. It's criminalizing poverty." criminalizing homelessness. A few days before Shoemaker attended a council meeting in which business owners demanded an increase in enforcement on the unhoused community. Uh, We discussed that yesterday. It was the September city council meeting that drew a firestorm when a, a particular business owner, the owner of, I'm sorry, I don't understand the situation. It looks like she bought a business for her son and then went up in front of the entire city and then declared the business hers, which then led to the funny situation where her little boy had to write like a public letter because he was embarrassed by something his mom said, And even though he's like 34 years old. Come on, dude. Anyways, carrying on here. uh, Some council members were receptive to requests from business owners like Exile Brewing Company's Amy Tersey who I just mentioned, she spoke derisively of people she finds drugged out and drunk at 5 p.m. outside her tap room, making employees feel threatened, comments that were widely criticized on social media. And that's funny because, yeah, you know, I mean, if you understand the owner of a tap room literally peddles poison to the working class at a markup, so not exactly the uh, right voice to speak out against addiction when her entire business model is centered around it. Indira said, I think that I agree that there is a problem during the meeting. However, the problem is that people don't have housing. People don't have food and people don't have resources. The man she met had been given a citation based on a pedestrian law Shoemaker and other housing advocates argue is covertly designed to target unhoused people asking for money. The ordinance that was being enforced was technically about crossing the street incorrectly, she explained, it's that people are not supposed to stand on the medians if they are less than six feet wide. However, it's just used to prevent people from panhandling, definitely. It's anti-homeless legislation. It happens all the time. You see it with, uh, even with architecture, things they do to benches. They do that in Des Moines under uh, some of the bridges, I know down there by Central Academy, they'll purposely build like rocks and things that make it, you know, that make it retain moisture more and impossible to sleep on and cold. it's. They go out of their way to spend money to make people that have nothing more miserable. It's kind of reprehensible, honestly. The council member said she was prepared to pay the man's $95 ticket, $95 ticket herself, but was encouraged to ask for the community to assist. She posted a call for donations on Twitter with a link to her Venmo account on September 17 and quickly met her goal. Currently, Des Moines does not have a standing ordinance that specifically prohibits panhandling. Rather, there is one restricting the usage of medians. It states a pedestrian can only linger on a median or or other street island that is six feet wide or wider, excluding curbs due to traffic safety concerns. This prohibits pedestrians from standing, sitting, or resting on about 200 of the city's medians. And excuse me. If you go uh, read the ordinance, it basically includes every single major intersection in Des Moines. I mean, I can't think of one. (coughs) I'm sorry. I can't think of one intersection that's not on that list. Continuing. Continuing. Des Moines' previous panhandling ban was withdrawn in 2018 after the ACLU of Iowa warned the governments of Des Moines, Grimes, and Council Bluffs that such ordinances are unconstitutional. They all complied, as did Corville, when it was sent the ACL's warning in April of this year. The ACLU challenged that successfully, Shoemaker said, and panhandling is a protected First Amendment right. The ACLU argued. These city ordinances violate a person's free speech based on a 2015 U.S. Supreme Court decision in Reed v. Town of Gilbert. The content of the signs were found to be unconstitutional by all nine justices. Gilbert argued that its ordinance was needed for trafty, traffic safety and aesthetics. But the court ruled restrictions based on content are subject to strict scrutiny, which is the highest level of judicial review and must be narrowly tailored to achieve a compelling public interest. The Reed case did not involve panhandling as the signs were for church-sponsored events. But two months after the Supreme Court handed down its decision, the U.S. Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, cited the ruling when it struck down a Springfield, Illinois, ordinance against panhandling as an overly broad, unconstitutional restriction on free speech rights. Springfield appealed the decision to the Supreme Court, but the justices declined to hear the case, leaving the ceiling in force. That makes sense. Since then, courts around the country have overturned more panhandling ordinances. Numerous other cities have removed their ordinances, recognizing they likely violate free speech. In all, Shoemaker said she was sent $135 to pay for the man's citation. She plans to cash out the extra 40 If I run across anybody who's asking for money, I'll just hand it out, she said. Shoemaker updated her Twitter followers on September 22. The fine has been paid, but that's the only good news. Ticketing people asking for money on medians is a new policy being pushed by a majority of the city council and implemented by the city manager and police chief. This may not be the last time I ask you to assist our neighbors. She told Little Village the problem goes much deeper than any single city ordinance. It's just an entire philosophy of our society at this point and has been for a long time, she said. For almost our entire history, people without money and without resources have been villainized. And I think this is. A continuation of that. It's a very disturbing thing to witness, she added, much less for someone to go through. She hit it right on the head there. And I can't emphasize enough how remarkable and rare it is to see a person of relative power. I mean, she honestly, she's only one vote in the council and she's outnumbered six to one. Uh, but she is a person of, of stature and a known figure in, in Des Moines that can use her platform uh to literally uh help the uh most vulnerable and the weakest members of the working class people that are traditionally not or i mean they've never really been represented at all so uh, if you can find me a story about a a rep or an elected rep anywhere in the united states who would do something like that it, it directly in the face of uh you know her peers on the council. Uh, I would challenge you to do that. I, I'd be shocked if there's another story like this. We're very lucky to to have someone with that much uh, empathy and compassion in uh, in office. It's it's, it's highly unusual. Um, I'm going to use Indira's example there of good faith mutual aid to uh, plug a couple things here. Um, I'm about to. Dive headfirst into the business of backyard chicken ownership. I know, uh, with the idea of uh, accumulating excess farm fresh eggs that I can give out to neighbors and stock the uh, community fridge in the Merle Hay neighborhood. With. So it's not a it's not a capitalist venture. It's more of a thing where my buddy has excess chickens. He needs to get rid of, uh, you know, hopefully more than three of them. But I'm going to take about three three to eight. Hopefully, um, as long as I could sneak him past my partner and uh, treat him well, let him roam around. I uh, use my limited craftsmanship skills to put together a little coop uh, using an old plastic shed that looks pretty comfortable. And as I understand, they're uh, fairly easy animals to get along with and to care for. And as long as the neighbors don't get too pissed, I... uh, won't get a, I mean, no plans of getting a rooster and hopefully the neighbors don't get too pissed, but we'll bribe them with some eggs. But if you have, uh, any access resources or wanted to donate to, uh, things like food insecurity or helping, uh, people that are desperate enough to beg for money to buy food or people that, you know, there, there's no shame in it. Uh, that's the best thing about the community fridge in Merle Hay that's located on Merle Hay and Douglas in the, uh, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. It's located on the intersection of Merle Hay and Urbandale at the church that's uh, kitty corner from the gas station there in the parking lot. And a lot of people in the uh, area who are experiencing homelessness and food insecurity use that as like a no judgment resource because there's not always people around. You know, you can pop in and out and grab what you need. And there's such a stigma Attached to you know needing things like the the person in the story that Endara helped, that it, people are shamed uh, in uh, when they uh, when they come up in need. And there's you know that that's again it's a reflection of our entire philosophy as a society. It's a real thing. I wish it didn't exist, but it does. So that's a really good resource that exists outside of some of the uh, traditional food pantries or city related services that have prerequisites. Uh, that community fridge is a good resource run by a couple of good friends of mine that are real solid people that have been running that thing, uh, without asking for anything in return, or even asking for even the slightest bit of attention show shout out to the uh, North Des Moines community fridge. If you can, or if you are in need, uh, check it out there in the intersection of, uh, Urbandale and Merle. Hay. give, if you can, that's all for today. I'm going to skip over my, uh, Oil prices story because it's not related. It is related to Des Moines, but it's not. I'm not going to go in in depth. But uh, OPEC, which is basically an international oil cartel, just agreed to cut production by uh, millions of barrels a day, which no doubt will uh, trickle down to the consumer that's dependent on combustion engines to pay their bills and get to work every day just in time for our election. So, heads up on that. We won't talk about it, but uh, gas never got, I mean, it was pretty out of control. I started to get a little worried when it was approaching $4. It's kind of stabilized here in the metro, but keep your eye on that. I'm going to fill up uh, my tank in a couple containers today because uh, I think I'm some type of energy forecaster, I guess. Sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I'm right, but keep an eye on the gas prices. I care about y'all. We'll see you tomorrow. This has been fun again. Plenty to talk about it. We uh, Plenty to talk about today. We almost made it an hour. Uh, shout out to uh, people who are listening and subscribing. We'll see you tomorrow.